Hello and welcome back to This Is Our Design, Sound On Sight's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series on NBC and based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I am Sean Coletti, my co-host is Kate Kolzik, TV editor at soundonsight.org and writer at theavclub.com. Our guests this week are the hosts of another Hannibal podcast, Eat the Rudecast, in addition to Sound On Sight's Damn Good podcast dedicated to the series Twin Peaks. We are very happy to welcome Cooper Beckett, Miko Yanagawa, and Ophelia Tesla. This week we'll be talking about Season 3, Episode 1, Antipasto, written by Brian Fuller and Steve Lightfoot and directed by Vincenzo Natale. But before we get into that, Kate, on a scale of 1 to yes, how much yes are you yesing right now? I'm pretty sure it's all of the yes. I mean, watching this episode... It just reminded for me how Hannibal is, I think, my Mad Men. I'm going to do a rewatch pretty soon for the Televerse, but just the reactions everybody else is having to the, you know, the return and the end of Mad Men, that kind of level of freak out. I was pretty much having that about this premiere. It just was one thing after another of, yes, it's exactly what I want you to do. So I'm very <laughs> excited to be back with the podcast and to be joined by our fabulous guests. As, as somebody who would very happily claim Mad Men as my number one TV show of all time. It's gotten to the point where it's it's a discussion, and Hannibal is such a big deal, and I'm so excited. You have no idea how excited I was just to be saying, this is our design. <laughs> it's, it's been a long time coming. And thank you so much, uh, members of Eat the Rootcast, for joining us. We have a, a very elaborate setup right now. Yes. It's, it's going to be interesting. Chaotic. <laughs> We're All high tech. the technology. <laughs> so, um, right, before we get into the discussion, just a couple of housekeeping things up at the top. Uh, listeners, once again, if you'd like to find us online, you can leave us a rating over at iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. You can also email us at our new email. This is our design, 666 at gmail.com. Yes, we have the number of the beast because it's appropriate, right? That's why. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you can also reach Kate and I on Twitter. Uh, Kate is at the Televerse, and I'm at Sean Coletti. And, of course, please feel free to leave a comment over at the post for this uh, podcast over at soundonsites.org. Uh, and new to this season of This Is Our Design is more fan appreciation because the the level of feedback that we've gotten over the past couple of years has been absolutely fantastic, and we want to reward people for listening and, and helping kind of get our podcast out there. So for this very first episode, this premiere, um, we're excited to give away a free copy of the first season of Hannibal on DVD. So if you would like to be entered into um, that giveaway, you can just contact us in any of the aforementioned ways. Just say that I would like to be entered into the DVD giveaway. And we'll do a drawing and announce the winner for next week's podcast. Um, so let's let's begin by having our guests introduce themselves. Uh, <laughs> please go ahead in any order that you'd like. Uh, hi, I'm Cooper Beckett. I run the Swingset.fm podcast network. We specialize in sexuality and geekery podcasts. And yes, we we uh, started our Hannibal podcast. Because of your Hannibal podcast, honestly. <laughs> nice and industrious no. here today. It, it is, it yeah. is. Okay, uh, I'm Miko, uh, also known as Technegatia, even though my last name is debuted Not on this show. <laughs> yeah, <duh. laughs> Which is fine. It's just so I never use it. 
but I've been podcasting with Life on the Swing Set and Kinky Geeks and loving Hannibal. And I'm kind of a little bit of the sort of like the flame that started that podcast because they were like, you have not watched this show yet. <laughs> so they wanted to watch me experience it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I've been enjoying every minute. And this is Ophelia Tesla. Um, I have to say, yeah, it's been really hard watching you watch this, keeping my mouth shut about what's about to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm also on the Kinky Geeks, uh, let's, on the Swing Set FM radio, and <laughs> happy to be here and finally watching Hannibal again. Fantastic. It's been a long right. time. It has been. It has been. <laughs> Since the Red Dinner, which is apparently what we're calling it now. Yes. I've seen that everywhere. Is that. The Red Dinner. Mm-hmm. The Red, the Red Dinner. Dinner. It's been more than a year because now we're debuting yeah. in the, the summer season. That's crazy. <laughs> they made us wait yeah. too long. Oh, Miko, stop it. You just ended season two. Oh, that, oh that's right. So it's been longer and more yeah, painful like, for like you. Like three yeah. months ago. Yeah. yeah. I said what, it hasn't been as painful because it's been like a band-aid to watch you watch it. <laughs> All we had to look forward to was the book. Before that, all we had to look forward to was the Funko Pop Hannibal figures. The relationship with the book's interesting, and we might get into that actually because now uh, the season seems to be veering in towards a a compilation of Thomas Harris stuff. Yes. Um, but before we get into the discussion of that, uh, I guess I'll introduce one of the new segments to the podcast. Uh, last season we had spoiled meats because we went back to rewatch the first season and we had a special segment for listeners who had already seen both of the seasons uh this year or this season we'll be replacing it with hannibal by the numbers and this will just be a very brief thing it's just to kind of set the table here um i kind of watch these episodes and take tally of numbers of lines numbers of scenes that kind of thing uh these are all estimations because it's hard to to tell obviously i don't have the script in front of me so it's hard to tell when one sentence ends and when one might be interrupted with like a semicolon or something like that. Um, but just just to set the table here, we have seven speaking roles for this episode. Um, the, the three characters who get the most lines in this episode are Hannibal at double the second place number. He has 144 lines. Uh, Antony has 61 lines and Bedelia has 55 lines. And there are 31 individual scenes for this episode. Uh, so we'll be keeping track of those kinds of numbers as the season progresses, just because I find some of those things interesting. I think when I when I looked back on this episode, um, I kind of didn't expect Anthony to, to be in the second place spot in that, because this is very much a Hannibal and Bedelia episode. So we'll we'll be having a look at that and seeing how that plays into our discussion of the episode. But let's get into this. So uh, we'll begin with, with Cooper. Um at some point in this episode, as Hannibal is talking with Abel Gideon, he says, let it be a fairy tale then, once upon a time, and we get into kind of the real crux of where Hannibal and Bedelia are at this point. Yeah. But just just that idea, though, of the fairy tale, I wanted to ask if you notice any similarities between the kind of traditional fairy tale structure and what Hannibal either has done up until this point or is doing in this episode. Uh, how can we relate Hannibal, the series, to the fairy tale? Well, fairy tales always had a element of cannibalism, and they reference it 
pretty strongly here with the Hansel and Gretel reference. You know, Hannibal is a variation on the old woman who's luring people to his oven and then will eat them. And yeah, I'm I'm still a little blown away. You know, it's been a while. I've been, just watched it. I'm still just wow. Well, he's also the big bad wolf, he right? Is. And Bedelia could be Little Red Riding Hood. He's tempting her away from the path. I mean, it depends on how you want to look good. But for me, yeah, he's very much the old lady. But he's also he's you know he's got that gleam behind his eye. He's stalking his prey. He's not just luring them in. Which I guess, if we want to, could take us back to our whole hunter fisherman thing from yeah. seasons one and two. But uh, but yeah, that that you know that big bad wolf thing or. Lucifer in front of the projection. Uh, it's very prominent here. I think it also might be a mor- like a, a morality story mm-hmm. because he's eating those who have been rude. Mm-hmm. So fairy tales are often stories that are to frighten you to be good. If there's anything that's going to frighten you to be good, <laughs> it's going to be Hannibal eating you. <laughs> I was going to add an element of fairy tale stories uh, with uh, Snow White and the taking of the heart. Yeah. So we've got a lot of symbolism with the. When in Snow White, didn't she eat the heart and lungs that were presented to her by the by hunter? the hunter? Yeah. How many of us whoa, whoa, were? Whoa, okay, sub- wait. Yeah. That's that's the thing that happens in the original Snow White tale. Oh yeah. 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 Far enough, it's it's horrifying. Horrifying. yeah. Can can somebody sorry. break this down because I I don't know this. Yeah. It, it, so. Th- the Wicked Queen asks the hunter to prove that Snow White is dead by bringing her her heart and lungs. And he brings the heart and lungs of a pig or a sheep. Deer. 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 And then the Wicked Queen eats them. The the closest we've come to the old Snow White story is uh, Snow White, A Tale of Terror, starring Sigourney Weaver which was a horror movie in the 90s. Sam Neill played the hunter, I think. Craziness. How many people were surprised that Soliato made it out of the episode alive? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. The, the, the person who was unbelievably rude to oh him. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, I'm surprised. His clock is ticking. Well, it, there's a <laughs> lot of things in this episode that were specifically using my knowledge of the book against me. Mm-hmm. Well, let's quickly go around. Who here has read the books? Because I have, I have vague familiarity with the Science of the Lands film, but that's it. Oh, that's it. That's it. Uh-huh. Read the book. Read the book. We've read all the books, right? Except for Hannibal Rising. I've read all of them yeah. except yeah. Hannibal Rising. No Hannibal Rising. No Hannibal Rising. Uh, I have seen all the films many times. I've read Red Dragon a couple times. I've actually not read the other novels, so my my knowledge of the Thomas Harris stuff ends at Red Dragon. Oh, highly recommended. You know, when we were prepping uh, to do the podcast, Ophelia and I read through the the whole series uh, in preparation because we were waiting for Miko to (laughs) to move here so we could do this podcast. And that was so great because... Every time there was a dis- direct reference to the books, we picked it out. There was, you know, it's just that little ping. Oh, Thomas Harris, ping. Well, it's very fresh in our brain. So, what did you notice as a book reader here? What were those pings in this premiere? 
Well, in in specifically the scene where Hannibal is lecturing, he's lecturing on disembowelment and hangings, which in the book is the fate of a character who saw him lecturing on disemboweling and hangings. Yes. So I immediately thought they were repositioning that murder with um, Antony. 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 And when they didn't, it was just like, oh, okay, well, maybe the other guy... Someone's getting disemboweled, don't worry. Somebody (laughs) will be hung on the side of a building disemboweled. (laughs) It's interesting that that's like... um, some of the stuff you bring to it as a Thomas Harris reader. We've talked a little bit about uh, the the Snow White myth and how that fits in and the eating of the heart. This actually relates to what Hannibal talks about in terms when he recites the Dante poem uh, to kind of prove his worth as somebody who can speak Italian. Uh, I'll read just the the last few lines of of that sonnet that's in Vita Nuova by, by Dante. It says, Joyous love looked at me while he was holding my heart within his hands and in his arms My lady lay asleep, wrapped in a veil. He woke her then, and trembling and obedient, she ate that burning heart out of his hand. Weeping, I saw him then depart from me. Um, I mean, we have a whole new theme here, cultural theme. Obviously, we've moved from French to Japanese to Italian. It makes sense that we get a lot of Dante, but Dante seems to really fit in at this point, this idea of um, Hannibal as a a representation of love in some way because in that poem love is manipulating this Dante's lady that character to to eat the heart and we've seen Hannibal be that kind of force of nature throughout this series so far um but that's put into question in this episode you know Bedelia talks about like where he is standing now in terms of is it his ethics that have changed you know so I guess I'm wondering like at this point, we've seen Hannibal for two seasons interact with Will Graham. Obviously, Will Graham's absent in this episode. Um, is this a different kind of Hannibal that we're dealing with in terms of his motivations? I, I kind of see it as, like, he just can't quit his man. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's trying. He's in uh, first Paris and then in Florence. And he's got his new pet, Bedelia. And... His buddy Anthony shows up, and he just, you know, we get that flashback. The last one, if only the dinner companion were Will Graham, and then we cut to him, in my eyes, uh, leaving his uh, attempts to stay under wraps behind and offering his heart to Will, because you gotta think, that is gonna make the news, that's gonna get shown... And somebody, Will's going to come at some point. Who knows how long it'll take. Anybody surprised he wasn't in the premiere? No. 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 He's got to, he, well. Well, I, I wasn't surprised yes. because Brian Fuller yes. runs his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think also as um, readers of Hannibal, yeah. we it, we have sort of spoilers written in if we just assume that he's going to take big chunks out of the book, and it seems like he is really taking more out of this specific book, as opposed to sort of creating his own concoction from all the books and taking a phrase here and a character there. And uh, I hope he mixes them more um, and changes it, you know, because he is changing it around a lot. But it's tough sometimes because we hesitate Mm -hmm. because we don't want to think that we're predicting it because 
we know what happens in the book. Um, well, Sean, you were saying you were surprised. Well, I mean, I guess I say that uh, I tried to stay away from Hannibal stuff before this season started, <laughs> and it's it's incredibly difficult. Um, but yeah, I can put myself into that position where you end with an episode like Mizumono, where a lot of things are left on the table, or and you expect, floor. oh, yes, floor, exactly. Floor. Yeah, that's true. The floor just bleeding everywhere outside. Um, and you expect some of that to be addressed in this episode. And on the one hand, you're a little bit frustrated that that's not the case. On the other hand, you are aware of the kind of series that, that Brian Fuller's Hannibal is. And so you also accept that he's telling a very specific kind of story. So it would make sense that the very last image that we get in that episode is Bedelia and Hannibal on the plane. So it would make sense to kind of talk about their relationship and, and how that's affecting the overall story right now. Well, and I talked about this in my review. It's not on the site. Um, I'm covering it for the website this year so people can go. If this isn't enough, somehow, <laughs> they can go read my review there. But I talked about how it, it's just such a smart thing to do on as a, as a TV show because we had this huge cliffhanger. We had all this drama. It was this Greek tragedy. And so many characters left, theoretically, in the balance, if you don't know how a TV show works. Um, <laughs> and, and there's all this baggage from it. So instead, we just leave that behind. We recenter the, the series to be, this season at least, it looks like it's going to be Hannibal. Hannibal and Bedelia are going to be the main characters, whereas Will Graham has always been the main character, at least to me. And so you leave all that behind and just, you know, once upon a time... And start your story in Florence. And we can deal with all that other baggage next week or the week after or eventually. But right now, you'd have to deal with Will, Alana, Jack, Abigail. You'd have to deal with uh, how did people get out of the country? How long does it take to kill? You just leave it all behind. Instead, you start fresh. Someone could watch this episode. And obviously, we have all this great material from seasons one and two that is affecting how we watch it. But if you'd never seen the show before, you could jump in with that episode. Yeah. So very true. It's sort of a repilot. Yeah. I want to mention briefly the, um, the Dante sonnet is also the lyrics to Vide Cormium, which is one of the most beautiful pieces of music, as far as I'm concerned, written by Patrick Cassidy and Hans Zimmer for the movie Hannibal. And they played it briefly in mid-last season, I think. It was the, wasn't the season one finale, Hannibal Cox's was Head the, Inside? Yes, it was the finale. It wasn't deceived well. And so the lyrics from that are also the the words to this sonnet. Yeah, that's fantastic, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, the novel and the film, actually, Hannibal, as we get a little further into the discussion. But you're right, Kate, in terms of, as a viewer of television, for people who aren't trained to to think certain things, like, this is a drastic shift in storytelling, Mm -hmm. and instead of getting the things that we expect to get, what we get is mostly Hannibal and Bedelia and their relationship. Um, So I want to talk a little bit more about Hannibal as a character here, we touched a little bit about it, but Ophelia, in relation to, to what uh, Bedelia says to Hannibal about his ethics being lost and how he's just kind of this aesthetical being right now, um, do you agree with this? Do you think that this is a different version of Hannibal uh, in terms of the one who had a little bit more nuanced motivations? Is this one more reckless, I suppose? I think he did get more reckless for a very short period of time. And I think that's why Bedelia was like, I'm getting out of here. 
um, if you're just going to play this grandiose game where you're on stage and she didn't want anything to do with it. Um, but he showed that he's still in control by not letting Anthony manipulate him into being Will Graham too, or, uh, even letting him, you know, get, get to that door handle. Um, I think for a short period of time, he entertained the idea of being a little bit of reckless. Um, but he, he reeled it in. He reeled himself in. But then look how he ends the episode. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, in, in that particular scene, no, the way he ends the episode. Uh... Hey, maybe he just didn't have the cash for those two bags of cement. <laughs> he said it was quite an outlay for that. So. Like he well, had actually... to kill this guy. I imagine that his solution to the problem was mutually beneficial in the way of you pay me money and I won't tell on you and maybe I get to have sex with everybody because that was implied. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of mutual attraction going around that table. But when you know when it became obvious to Will that Hannibal was a bad guy, Will was still undecided over whether or not he was going to turn him into Jack. And so this guy very quickly made his motivations known and Hannibal just couldn't have that. No. And no. so instead, it becomes an opportunity for him to test Bedelia. Yeah, I think when she's talking, when Felix's talking about it being reckless, mm -hmm. what feels reckless is his little uh, cat playing with the mouse sort of thing that was happening after the lecture. Yes. Because yeah. Yeah, he, he, he let his cards be shown he went up there, he did the lecture, the guy figures it out, and there is this little play. He let them know where they live. <laughs> yeah. And then invited him to the lecture where he's playing someone else. Exactly. Yeah. I, I honestly thought he was going to die before that lecture even took place. But It's interesting to think of Antony as a uh, you're not Will kind of character. <laughs> yeah, nice try. Yeah, because we get direct paralleling here with Bedelia and Alana, mm -hmm. because we see her put in the same position just about as Alana was in the finale of season two. She's got a gun on him, and what is she going to do? Alana had to pull the trigger, or at least try, and Bedelia couldn't. Uh, so, so when that combination of we get several, you know, we get those champagne bottles with the broken yeah. glass with the liquid. Yep. We get all the water droplet imagery. We get the, the gorgeous, oh man, Vincenzo Vincenzo so good. Yes. The bathtub and the water calling yes. back Alana with that inky black water. Yes. And, and that made me all submersion. excited when I saw it. I was like, ooh, call back. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's really interesting to see because in the in Mizumono, it seemed like what else could Alana do? Um, so it's nice to see that directly sort of responded to, or at least that's how I see it, probably overanalyzing. Over we never do that, right? Oh, no, no, never. Yeah. We just skim yeah. over everything. Yeah, yeah. Surface. Um, Surfacing. Oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> to see, no, this is another decision she could have made. She could have become basically Hannibal's pet, and she chose possible death. So it tells us something about both of them, and I really like that. I, you could feel Will and Alana's presence, at least I could, um, in this episode through their, like, doppelgangers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, through flashbacks and the doppelganger. And meant talking about Alana having to make a choice similar to Bedelia's, it also shows the story they've come in to before. And we touch a little of that with Bedelia because we see the scene. You know, they had a moment when she had to protect herself, I'm doing air quotes, uh, from her attacker. So she's had a moment where she seemed like Hannibal. And he's questioning her, well, was this really self-defense? Did you attack? Alana didn't have this experience. So going into that moment where you have to stand on the other side of the gun and make that decision, the history before they got to that moment, basically is the structure that makes them make that choice. Oh, that's fantastic. And the parallels to Alana and what you're saying is also just spot on. I actually um, hadn't considered that. Like, it's it's easy if you've seen the films or read the books or whatever that um, just by virtue of Bedelia being the character who follows Hannibal into Italy, that uh, there are comparisons that you can make to Clarice Starling. Um, I, what you've just mentioned right now about how Hannibal tries to help uh, post whatever happened that we don't actually see. Um, that's, that's also Abigail after killing Nicholas Boyle. You know, this is Hannibal asking Mm -hmm. if you would like me to help you just tell me. Mm -hmm. And so this, I think, you know, we've, we've heard mentions of Hannibal's sister in this series, Misha, and this is all just him trying to replace that in some way through intense, intense manipulation. And I feel like Bedelia is really, really under the spotlight in this episode. And Jillian Anderson just really steps up to the plate. Just a quick detour here it occurs to me we've seen this scene with Bedelia now we've seen it with Abigail we don't see that with Will because Will presents the body he doesn't Hannibal isn't there to help him uh do you guys what do you think of that is that notable or just well, how I, the plot worked out Hannibal manipulates people into asking for help mm. Will actually threw the punch by yeah. asking for help before Hannibal offered him but did he ask for help? He presented it like a gift. He that's said, true. I don't need your help. Right. I don't know. I think that's what makes him the perfect friend for Hannibal because he's not in need of Hannibal's assistance. So it he stands... makes him more like an equal. Right. It, right. I can totally see that because in the two times that I've seen him do that setup of ask me, he never offers his help. He makes the person ask. Mm-hmm. And it. I love it because we have the angle of Hannibal being Satan. Yeah. So having the people have to ask almost makes them own the sin they're about oh, to yeah. commit. I'm, I'm helping the devil and it absolves him of anything. He didn't tell them to do it. They are asking for his help. So Will's beating him to that or not asking him when he's in a moment of desperation does make them seem more like equals or peers. But sorry, I distracted our conversation sure. from Jillian Anderson <laughs> and she's fabulous. Oh yeah. And yeah. looking fabulous, can we just say that gorgeous that black dress and then the blue, the hat. blue and yeah. then she's wearing that white thing and they shoot it so it's just the top so she's like angelically lit from above while he's Lucifer. Oh, it's great. I know. Yeah, well, it, it's very perfect. clear that Bedelia is reaping the rewards of being there with Hannibal. Mm-hmm. 
because you know she's not collecting money from her overseas accounts she's collecting the money from Hannibal so the, she is complicit and is in, going into complicity before she gets to the scene where she's okay with the murder <laughs> she's no longer observing yes <laughs> i thought the scene with her just before the bathtub was exquisitely beautiful Mm-hmm. The slow unzippering of her dress, yeah. her gorgeous back and the tub, just beautiful. The mirror to mm-hmm. reflect, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. She she plays so well alongside Mickelson in this, and I, I know like the whole idea of the power play is there, and that we're supposed to be worried about uh, Bedelia in terms of how far under Hannibal's influence she's fallen at this point. But it seems like she's really standing her ground, and they are in many in many scenes. I think equals, and she's able to deliver lines that that try to uh, get him to to really think about the character that he's become. She mentions that thing about you know you no longer have ethical concerns; you have aesthetical ones. Mm-hmm. You know he, he he responds ethics become aesthetics. Um, that kind of goes in the the next direction that I wanted to talk about, um, which is. I guess kind of how we view Hannibal more generally because, you know, we, we also dissect things, which is what Hannibal mentions to, mm-hmm. um, to Anthony earlier in the episode where he says, and this is probably my favorite line in the whole episode. One can appreciate another's words without dissecting them though. On occasion, <laughs> dissection is the only thing that will do. There, there are so many parts about that line of dialogue that really stand out. Um, but yeah, th- this is us dissecting stuff. Um, but Validation. it's also, <laughs> <laughs> But, but we could kind of just sit back and say, oh, Gillian Anderson's gorgeous, and everything about this episode is just really, really beautiful, like stunningly beautiful. Um, so it becomes a question of, you know, when, when do we do this, when do we not? And that's, that's kind of the direction I wanted to go in. Uh, Miko, if you could talk a little bit about, I guess, um, w- when should we be doing this kind of thing? Because Hannibal seems to warrant in-depth discussion often, but then it seems like maybe just as much, maybe a little bit less. It's kind of just Fuller and his team presenting this really gorgeous, beautiful visual thing that's just meant to be taken in from a distance a little bit. I I think it's not just about when do we dissect it. It's how it's a kind of like a meal. It's gorgeously prepared it's beautiful and sumptuous to look at but you don't want to devour it mindlessly you want to sit there and enjoy how it's presented how it's cooked um, all the textures and the flavors and what goes well with that and I think that's what we really love about Hannibal is that we don't sit here and turn off our brains and just watch a TV show for what it is we're not eating fast food here I think Brian Fuller invites us to not dissect, but enjoy it more and enjoy it more fully and let it sit and digest and have us sit, you know, think about it. Um, Have those thoughts roll around in our head because a lot of the scenes are often saying more than they're showing. The dialogue at times is glib puns that at the end punctuate and hit you in a very visceral way. Where in the middle of you laughing, you're like, ah, oh, wait a minute. He said something that's kind of uncomfortable and true. 
So let's dissect it so that we can enjoy every little bit of this delicious dish. Before anybody jumps in on that, I just want to say that absolutely, in terms of the saying more than it's showing, um, just looking at my, my Hannibal's by the number stuff, out of 31 scenes, 18, which is more than half, have five or fewer lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that was an absolute astute observation. Right, thank you. <laughs> well, that's part of why we love the show. They yeah. show they don't always tell. And when they tell, it's usually either terrifying or hilarious. <laughs> you know, what? when you were talking about it, Miko, what really is stood out for me in this premiere is how funny it is. And that's something that really is unusual in television. Television generally trends toward upsetting, and that's why it's good, Mm. or fun, and that's why it's good. And, like, if you take Game of Thrones, which is similar tonality a lot of the time, Game of Thrones is relentingly ugly sometimes. And Hannibal can be almost light, He's very glib. While relentlessly upsetting. And it's such a weird balance that they're able to play. And I don't think anyone other than Brian Fuller, maybe David Lynch before him, has been able to pull off that type of dichotomy. That's the Lynchian take on this that I always love about the show, is that use of humor on really uncomfortable, often horrific scenes. Mm-hmm. Lynch did that often. I mean, you can even look at Eraserhead. It's really disturbing movie to watch, but you'll find yourself giggling at the weirdest things. And there's actually funny dialogue, and it's all through Lynch's uh, you know, sort of collection and everything that he's done. And Brian does it so well in this. He makes things funny without taking away from the fear, but he also keeps, it makes it uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but not think- uncomfortable to where we want to turn away and we don't like it. We're actually intrigued and drawn in by how uncomfortable we feel. Yeah, it's not so uncomfortable we aren't going to laugh. <laughs> right. it, which makes us complicit. Absolutely. It's inviting us to be part of the horror by liking it. Well, and that's why we have Abel Gideon condemning the audience mm-hmm. at the end. He's he's looking directly to camera, and yes, he's talking to Hannibal, but he's also talking to us. Mm-hmm. But we're we're not. So the snails are not the only creatures that get together to eat, and we are all getting together. Yeah, you know, to enjoy the to consume. Are you saying that this. the show is manipulating us the way that Hannibal manipulates people <laughs> in his life? I, I think Hammer. that's what we're saying. <laughs> At some point, at the I'm, end of the series, he's going to turn to us. Brian and Fuller, we don't know. No, we know this about Brian Fuller. Have you seen him? He dresses like Hannibal. He wants to be Hannibal. There's no question in my mind. <laughs> Okay, I'm glad you brought up Abel Gideon, because you're right, it's a weird thing where this series, which is so immersed in this really horrific material to the point where it it disturbs characters over season, multi-season arcs, Uh, characters like Chilton, characters like Abel Gideon provide some sort of comedic relief as much as you can get in a series like this, and which is why it's great for him to return in this episode, but it's not just that, it's not just, you know, to have a little bit of lightheartedness, Um, it's also to kind of 
juxtapose him and Bedelia because they both fall under the influence of Hannibal in some way. And, and Kate, you and I were talking about this a little bit before because I couldn't contain myself because I needed to talk about Hannibal very soon. <laughs> um, but you observed that, at least in the screeners that we got, um, we're recording this before the episode actually airs, uh, that the, the coloring of the flashbacks is different. So that in the Abel Gideon flashbacks, they're in black and white. And then in the Bedelia flashbacks, that they're in color. And so it, it, in addition to how these two characters are being compared anyway, it seems that that also plays a part in it. And I was wondering if you could talk about um, how Bedelia might be following in that role or in any kind of role of a character who has been manipulated by Hannibal and who has tried to exert you know, their own autonomy but is really struggling with that. Well, we should also mention um, you guys, meaning the Droodcasters, <laughs> also noticed, of course, it's in a different aspect ratio when we're with Gideon. Um, so it's a very distinct stylistic shift. And when, because in the past, when there have been flashbacks, like with Miriam Lass, it was a sort of sepia, but more black and whitish mm-hmm. kind of tone. And also when we had Abigail remembering her father and the train. And, and so to, to, I was initially connecting it to that and this notion of Hannibal remembering the conversation with Gideon and this notion that memory is black and white on the show yeah. and just filling in the audience like we get with Bedelia is color. But I, after noticing the aspect ratio thing, I think it's much more about just a, a narrative bookend. We have the right after the credits, right the second last scene, and then in the middle we go back to Gideon. Um, and so it functions as a more structural part of the episode as well. It's just such a fascinating, distinct choice and not something they've really done before. So it's very interesting. I look forward to everybody's thoughts. Um, but to actually, actually answer the question you asked, <laughs> which is a little different, um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Because I, I, with... with Bedelia, and especially with Gillian Anderson's performance, and there's some other things we'll get into in Kate's Classical Corner that affect my uh, affect my thoughts on this. Um, I, I I really can't get away from this notion that she wants to escape. Mm-hmm. She is she's really trying to get out of the, get out of there, but she should have been able to. There was enough time. I think she's addicted to Hannibal. Yeah, so she is she really on her way? She strikes me as someone who's like, oh no, I'll leave. I'll leave right now. And oh, I just need to do one more thing before I leave. And oh, you're home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so then do you see her as continuing along that path like Hannibal? Like he was trying to take Will along? Well, yeah, because it, it speaks to the charisma of the character. Will really struggled with his inherent goodness. And his friendship and being drawn to Hannibal. And Bedelia has the uh, professional detachment that comes with psychiatry where she can just be curious about his motivations. So she should be able to objectively walk away. But he's just so intriguing. And yet, curious. Well, and yet she seems utterly disgusted at the mm-hmm. end. She is maybe fascinated with Hannibal, but she hates so much about him. Yeah. It's not like she's bought into to his philosophy. And, her, and we, when you watch her eating the oysters and 
The masala is, oh, this is, I'm being fattened up with a very specific flavor. <laughs> I'll go buy the ingredients for my eventual preparation uh, of myself at the store now. Uh, she seems utterly disgusted. So it's, it's not like, at least how I've been led to believe things go down with Clarice in the books. It seems no. like it's a very different approach. Yes. In, in the book and movie, I, I don't want to get too spoilery, but it's it's fundamentally the problem with that book and movie is Clarice is drugged by Hannibal. Clarice is essentially what happened to um, Miriam Lass. She's yes. drugged into a state of delusion. Mm -hmm. and Hannibal manipulates her by using her memories of her father. Mm -hmm. And so, no, Bedelia has agency and has so many facets to this. She's afraid, so that's a reason not to leave. She's intrigued, that's a reason not to leave. But she also is completely exonerated for the patient that she reached down his throat to murder. I... That that was that blew my mind when she pulled her arm out of that guy's throat. Well, we knew the thing about the tongue already, yeah. but it's very different to see it. And, a... and that speaks to her yeah. because that there's a very distinct difference between killing in self-defense or you butchered him just like uh, Abigail did. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's definitely a distinction between. Uh, Bedelia and Gideon, because the, Gideon obviously is somebody who did butcher people. He murdered mm -hmm. his his family. He murdered the nurse in that episode. Uh, but at the same time, that agency that you talk about, Cooper, uh, that also extends to Bedelia's character, where this is something that Gideon mentions that he could be taking the way where he's not aware that he's eating himself, but he chooses to to go along with it. And so in the same way, I think Bedelia is choosing to to go along with what Hannibal's doing. And I wonder, you know, we, we talked a lot in season two about what Will Graham's character was doing with that. You know, was he really under the sway? Was he uh, on Hannibal's side in the way that we were meant to believe? And I think that that question is being asked again, but I think it's a little bit more clear that Bedelia is a character who is aware that there's not many ways for Hannibal to get caught, which is why I wonder about that scene on the train station where she's looking into the camera. You know, is that a way of just putting her face on some kind of, you know, CTV or whatever it is, um, so that that's out in the ether and so mm. that. Mm -hmm. that they might be able to find her. You don't wear that outfit and sit in that spot mm -hmm. without wanting to be seen. And that's another homage to the film Hannibal, where it opens with surveillance footage of Italy. That's the opening credit sequence of Hannibal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it does sound like she's probably so terrified to leave because she's seen how well he can assume other people's lives and he can cover up uh, his crimes, possibly even more so now than when she was just playing the role of the psychiatrist. Now that she's a part of his life, I think she's um, seen a lot more uh, that's made her afraid to leave. But 
that does make sense that she's sort of leaving a trail of breadcrumbs, letting herself be seen in the hopes that she can be noticed or get away. Or and that trail of breadcrumbs, like a fairy tale. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or... At the same time, I think she may not want to run because then she doesn't know when Hannibal might show up. Yeah. She'll spend the rest of her life Ex- until he's caught, maybe wondering if he's going to be at her door. And that's at least saying this that way, yeah. he's in front of her, mm-hmm. and she can maybe get out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's also this notion she wants. Maybe she wants uh, Will and the FBI or someone to come save her from herself. Mm. And they're the only ones who can do it. And running away is not going to save her in any way. She's going to live her life in hiding. And she's seeing that he has special skills that no other (laughs) Very Very particular skills. So by hiding, I guess, with the monster... Uh, and seeing what he can do, all she can do is wait for her knights in shining armor. And this is this is half of the way I think uh, Abel Gideon's character functions. It's it's a contrast uh, to Bedelia in the sense of what do these characters do in terms of having to deal with the power that Hannibal exerts over them. The other thing that I think Gideon's character does is really bring into question this idea of what's going to happen when you get caught Hannibal? Because he brings this up a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Cooper, if you could talk a little bit about why that idea is really important at this point, because it's not necessarily the case where everybody watching this series is familiar with the Hannibal character, so Mm -hmm. they don't really know um, the future of that character. But to have somebody like this who has just gone to town over all of our protagonists and who is out there and who seems to be successful. Just that idea of you're going to get what's coming to you at some point. And it's funny because the last serial killer that we loved on television just continually got away with it until it was boring and he (laughs) had to move to the Pacific Northwest. So Hannibal, we hope, doesn't get away with it because that's another wonderful facet that we can see of him. And I think that people, even people unfamiliar with the Hannibal Lecter character, uh, are aware that Hannibal is in prison at some at point. At some point. And he has not yeah. yet been in prison. And he did make the biggest, splashiest show he possibly could at the end of last season. So if they can't track him down... We're dealing with some really incompetent people uh, stateside. <laughs> you know, they need to call Interpol and get them involved. Because it's it's and that makes me think that Bedelia is dressed like Carmen Sandiego, <laughs> except in blue. <laughs> Rocking it, looking just as uh, confident. Well, a couple things. First of all, you just made me ponder. Maybe. Dexter is to blame for all the lumberjacksual <laughs> things that are going on right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he started that lumberjack trend that we're in right now. <laughs> lumber Lumbersexual. Uh, it's a thing, apparently. It is. It's on Tilo, so that means it's legit. Um, and the other thing is, because I, I mentioned Dexter in my review, one of the things this episode does so well, it doesn't show us Hannibal being violent 
until the very end. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of returns to season one Hannibal when we could still like delude ourselves that he wasn't actually eating people yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get the pouring of the wine rather than the blood when he kills Dr. Fell. We skip to the, you know, the, the cooking and... And uh, later, everything, all the violence is off screen until the very end. And it's they're sort of drawing you back in, especially if you're a new viewer, because the people we think he's going to kill are total dicks. Yeah. And it's like on Dexter, where it's like, oh, he's killing people that are worse. So they were annoying. So and that it's, brings okay. the complicity in again. Yeah. We're on board with it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that the violence at the end uh, is first abstract, and then way on the other side of the room. Like, when Hannibal goes over there, it's almost not involved until the actual moment it breaks. So we're feeling like that, probably the same thing Bedelia's feeling. It's like, oh, this is all a dream. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. And then, yeah, he just broke that guy's neck right in front of us, and we were on board... And now what? That's that's a really, really important scene. Mm-hmm. And that, that brings a lot into question. So, uh, Ophelia, observe or participate? <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> that is the question. Are, what are we doing? What is Bedelia doing? Is she actually observing? Or is she, like Hannibal says, participating just by virtue of her taking these things into consideration? I think she's completely participating. Um, she's... She's along for this ride. The second she chose not to shoot him as he came out of the shower. She she could have easily ended it right there. She kind of like... It's like the death by cop syndrome. <laughs> she chose her, her manner of death by not killing Hannibal. She's like, okay, this is the way I'm going to go. Um, and I don't know if that's like guilt over her past that she shares with Hannibal. Maybe? I don't know analyzing things um dissecting dissecting uh as needed um but yeah she's participating and she knew what was going to happen after that before that lecture there was a glimpse of acknowledgement when they were at the dinner and she realized after he invited anthony to the lectures like okay i knew where this is gonna go and she she could have left then. She could have left probably multiple times, like Cooper had said. Uh, she does have her own agency. Uh, she has mentioned, she mentioned to Hannibal, which is a hat tipping to Clarice, that every day that she is in, what, 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 I don't know her exact words, but every day she had clarity and was, she had all of her faculties she considered herself a good day. Mm-hmm. So she she acknowledged that Hannibal uses uh, drugs to keep people under control and that she realized that she's not being controlled. So I feel like all of these acknowledgements are her participation. Miko, is, is her participation different from Will's? Oh, that's a good question. Because we get a lot of that in season two, right? Where we're questioning just how culpable he is as a character. I think it's similar, but not exactly the same. Because I think Will still had moments where the good side of him um, 
felt like it hadn't seen enough. He didn't constantly see or hear or experience what Hannibal was doing in the same way that Bedelia is. He was still trying to be the savior and the FBI agent and um, go out and help people and stop killings. He was very much more active while the dark side of him was competing for the part of his soul that was trying to be like Hannibal. Bedelia seems like she has been complicit to too much. She hasn't had enough of the good side and the light side that is trying to save people and sort of throw herself in front of the blade. Uh, She's been spending a lot of time observing, quote unquote, and not participating in a way that's going to help or save anybody from the very beginning. So... You can't really say that she's not participating when she's not actively sort of trying to get Hannibal on a different path. So her participation has a lot of a sort of darker, more insidious participation to it. Because while she's not physically doing anything, she's still there. There's been other killings. We wouldn't have him as Dr. Fell if there hadn't been another murder and another meal, she knows this is happening. And maybe she's getting to the point where guilt is overriding her. She's getting to the point now where she's been so saturated, she's having doubt. But all she's doing is fleeing from the scene. She's not even trying to help this guy. She packed her bags and she's ready to get out of Dodge. This guy can show up at the apartment and die. She's just going to save her own skin. So it's, it's, I think it's different. It is, because what you're talking about in terms of how we observe and how we help people, that's, that's how we're introduced to Will Graham, right? He's somebody who has to observe. That's his job. He's incredibly good at it. And he does help people, despite the fact that he gets pushed over the edge in the, the first season of Hannibal. He's able to help solve murders. He's able to help in any way that he can because of his empathy disorder. Um, but, but Bedelia's participation is more sinister, I think. I, I mean, if anybody disagrees with that, please, like, let's, let's get that going, but... Well, I do um, think Bedelia has the abused spouse syndrome. You know, the, okay, I'm really going to leave this time, but, oh, no, I'm not. In it's, it's definitely an emotional manipulation on Hannibal's part, but I think it's also a bit that she is seduced, seduced by sexy, sexy Hannibal. Hannibal. There, there is a lot of sexy, a lot <laughs> Aren't of Aren't we dashing. all seduced by yeah. sexy Hannibal? And and that <laughs> makes it, you know, it that that blurs the line a little bit. I think. Well, and I think we should also remember that, of course, we've not seen her pre-Hannibal. We have no idea what she was like before he started exerting his influence upon her, before she knew him just professionally, let alone as a you know patient. Uh, so so it's, it's hard to know. Maybe she started out more like Alana or Will, but I, you know, like you say, she is an abused woman. She's an abused person. So while she is very much, I would say, what we see is her participating. She wants to tell herself she's observing, but that is that is not actually an option. Um, that that doesn't mean that 
she was ever in a position where she could not participate based on the, her psychological, psychological trauma. Mm-hmm. Well, I think she's also very similar to Margot and Randall Tear. She is a person that Hannibal was curious about, so he threw something awful at her. She conquered it, and now he's really interested. Absolutely. All right, we'll we'll shift it a little bit. There are plenty of things to talk about in this episode, but uh, (laughs) one of the things that we love to talk about with regards to Hannibal are some of the aesthetical choices, and that, of course, comes down to the sound and the, the music design. So, Kate, we're going into our first episode of Season 3 with Kate's Classical Corner. What can you tell us about the scoring in Antipasto? Well, I am pretty sure I can speak for the room here and say, Synth? What? What? Yeah, it was totally weird. I literally wrote, huh? Well, can I speak to that for a moment? Go for it. Okay, so the predominant Red Dragon adaptation is Manhunter, which is the pinnacle of 1980s style and synth music. You listen to the soundtrack for Manhunter, it sounds like John Carpenter wrote it. And that is immediately what came to mind when I heard Brian Reitzel doing synth. It's like, oh, he's throwing Manhunter at us. That's awesome. Oh, that's really interesting because I don't have uh, the old de- dead German white guys. That's what <laughs> I know. Some Italian as well. And we get some uh, some French. We get WC's Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. We get Donizetti, Don Pasquale, Sonio Suave e Casto, which is the lovely aria while Hannibal is cooking. Um the, the, the specific classical piece, and there's so many more, but we're just going to limit ourselves a little bit here because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about scoring-wise as compared to soundtrack. So the, the specific classical piece I wanted to talk about was, of course, the use of Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn in those first two scenes with Gideon. Um, it's a really prominent, uh, famous piece uh it's by WC and it really changed the way that people thought about tonality and what music could be. And, uh, uh, but the story of Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn, it's an adaptation or it's based on a poem, uh, Stéphane Mallarmé. Uh, I'm not a poet. <laughs> I can say WC, uh, but it's about a fawn, the, the mythological creature, not, you know, baby deer. A fawn who wakes up and sees two nymphs um, and is, of course, immediately deposited um, and is trying to... You have to decide if he actually saw them or if they were in a figment of his imagination. Is he still asleep? There's, There's a dreaminess to it. There's a lot of really gorgeous imagery. And then at the end, he falls back asleep. He goes back to sleep and returns sort of to the earth, that kind of an idea. Uh, so when you use that music combined with the black and white, combined combined with the aspect ratio, combined with once upon a time, <laughs> it really adds this level for me of is that even happening? Is this a a dream of Hannibal's? Is this a conversation he's having with himself? Is it you know head Eddie Izzard? Um, <laughs> Eddie Izzard. Head Izzard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, so I just. 
It's gorgeous. It's a lovely piece. I was kind of expecting them to use, like, Rite of Spring or something, but I actually like this look better. Um, as for scoring issues, we should talk about Hannibal. Like, there's this huge embrace of uh, woodwinds even more. We talked about mm-hmm. this in season one. Sean, of course, you'll, you'll remember all the clarinets that we had forgotten were there in season one. <laughs> They're back in a big way here. We get, uh, like, a jazzy, muted trumpet as Hannibal is driving around Paris Um yeah. It's it's such a different choice than the percussion-heavy approach that we got in season one with Tobias, and then which was sort of ported over to Will throughout much of season two. So when we still see Will, we'll see what happens with that. But um, I wanted to specifically talk about also this the music with Bedelia in a couple scenes because when she's in the bathtub we get these strings sliding down and down yeah. as she sinks into the depths but then the clarinet flutters to life it bubbles up as she does her will to live comes forward it won't let her either succumb entirely to Hannibal's will or to die And so that's when she goes to sit by the train station. That's when she makes the move to leave. So maybe it's something new. Maybe it's not. But I think it's fun and pretty. And the other (laughs) thing I'll mention is with Bedelia. And I sort of connect this to the synth thing. But again, I'm not a synth person. I don't really know. Um, I just go to Twin Peaks, you know. (laughs) Uh, But... We all go to Twin Peaks. Why wouldn't we, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But... When Bedelia is sitting by the train station, it sounds to me like organ. And, of course, harpsichord. And this is something mm-hmm. that I talked about with Brian Reitzel at Comic-Con last year. Not trying to humble Greg or anything. I just <laughs> want to make sure I'm not getting credit for something that wasn't my idea. But he talked about how, how the harpsichord is the instrument of death because the sound decays so quickly. Whereas the mm-hmm. organ is the considered the instru- instrument of life because the air is constantly moving through the pipes. So when she sits at the train station and we hear organ, that to me means she's reaching out for a lifeline. She's looking to be saved and she's reaching out. And I sort of connected the synth sound, which we get very much with her and the little bit of like, drum snare kind of through I connected to that the 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 organ kind of synth sound well synth is is electronic which is also it could be eternal yeah you don't have to worry about even air flowing through you press the button and it plays mm-hmm. that's true so there's a lot more there'll be more in my review at sound site but we've already gone super long so <laughs> I guess I'll cut it off there I would love to hear what you guys think like what do you think of this whole like Parisian jazz trumpet thing for Hannibal. I loved the music because what I was getting out of all the music in Italy was that they really took it out of that area. Like that was the music from the area. Um, once they were out of Paris, the music that were was playing was things that I remember from like Italian movies from the 60s. Yeah. It's that jazzy sort of with vibes and it's kind of like the lounge music we were, people were listening to at the time, if you've bought lounge CDs or the stuff like uh, Cooper and I talked about, it reminded us the Tiki music. Tiki Aki Orchestra. Tiki, uh, tiki, it totally sounded like Tiki Aki Orchestra to me. Um, but the, the sort of the visual image that came to my mind the more I heard it was 
Italian movies of the 60s. Yeah. And I was wondering if that was the flavor. But it was also mixed in with Italian opera, with Italian uh, uh, more like religious choral music, because we are in the realm of the Vatican and a, he's talking about a religious imagery. So I love the layering of all those uh, different styles of music. I also love the return of the rumble, yeah. the mm-hmm. deep, I feel that in the pit of my stomach, rumble. I think we all bring our different tastes to it. And yeah, in terms of the synth, like that's a very progressive rock thing mm-hmm. as somebody who listens to a lot of that stuff. And it's followed at one point by some guitar, not mm-hmm. really prominent, but there's a little bit of it. Electric and then, guitar, yeah. Yeah, and then I think of, you know, stuff like in crimson and then the idea of the the king in crimson and then how that relates to hannibal and also you know bands like rush who did stuff like xanadu a lot of stuff that was based on poetry and how there are all these really just intricate ties that obviously not everybody was thinking about but that you know again it's just how like we bring our own stuff to the piece of art and why that's really important yeah well i mean because rexel's got a background in rock so i mean it only makes sense Mm. They would incorporate that when it was, you know, when it mm-hmm. fit, yeah. All right. Well, uh, well, let's move on to our next recurring segment, of course, which is the return of the devil in the details, in which we will talk a little bit about some of the little things that stood out to us, be they visual or otherwise, uh, any anything that was interesting in some degree. So we'll go in, I guess, alphabetical order by first name. So Cooper, then Kate, then Amico, then Ophelia, and then I'll... I'll finish off, and then if we want to go a couple times around the circle, we can do that. But, uh, Cooper, any little things that stood out to you? One of my favorite lines in the whole episode was Gideon's amusement that he was smoked in time mm-hmm. uh, because Hannibal uh, cooked his... That was his other leg mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the beginning? Yeah, smoke, smoked it in time. And... Time is obviously the wonderful pun because the entire episode is about, uh, essentially, it's devouring time. It's crossing time frames without any particular rhyme or reason or continuity. And because of that, it's been given this wonderful dream logic. So the whole episode feels like a dream right from the opening where we're we're fading to black between shots so we're we're sort of falling into this dream with a silent opening that almost looks like a car commercial the way he's driving through <laughs> paris and it's it makes you question everything you think you know about the show except for the fact that it's going to be exceptional and surprising yeah Definitely. Love that opening. Okay. Um, I'll just do a couple here. I'm sure we're going to do a couple passes, right, guys? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, we could mm-hmm. pass. We could probably pass this day. all day. Yeah. Um, all so day then, the I'll do two quickly. I love all the shout-outs to Mizumono. That they're they're all over this place with like with the blood into water the yeah. the mm-hmm. shot of the knife slicing mm-hmm. down into the food when Hannibal's cooking, um, so that was great. And uh, this is not like a detail, but we haven't mentioned it, and we have to because it was amazing. Um, <laughs> Mass Mickelson has like ten years 
a professional dance experience. Mm -hmm. So when we go (laughs) and they're waltzing, I was just like in my happy place. It's like, because I was hoping when they were going to go to Europe, it's like, he's a dancer. Let him dance. And then they did. And it was awesome. It was wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. All right, uh, I think Miko, take away. The details that I got excited about were some of the things that Kate touched on. What were those little tiny moments where they made us think about other things? I loved when they came into the shower and the slow droplets and the clear mixed yeah. with blood. And we also saw the faucet when she's in the bath. And it's not only echoing the bathtub scene with Alana, but I also thought it echoed um, the sink in it's Will's. Sink face. Yeah. yeah. It was sink face. And I was waiting for the blood <laughs> to come dripping out of the so faucet. So was I. I was yeah. waiting. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting. I'm like, that blood, that's going to be blood. Oh, yeah. no, it's still water. Still water. Thank you. And <laughs> Beautiful ways that shots are framed uh, when he puts the helmet back on and the guy is seen walking away in the reflection, uh, the use of the knife and reflections in the knife. Things that we saw a lot of in Mizumono, that's true. Uh, but it's also a Hannibal thing that I love, yeah. that they take so much time and care to give me these beautiful moments. Of course, Hannibal doesn't get helmet hair. I'm just imagining him with like the Scrubs hairmet, you know, like JD style. Oh, we get that beautiful moment of him out of the bath with the perfectly placed wine glass. The Austin Powers <laughs> what he said. It was to- I was just thinking of that. It's totally Austin Powers. And he's like, can I get dressed first? And I'm like, oh, perfectly placed wine glass. Yeah, you know there's a lot of gifs going on with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know it. There was stuff going on in my head behind that wine glass. We lost Miko for about five minutes. Like, wait, what's happening? Oh, she's got a gun. Okay. Ophelia, any details that stood out to you? Yes. Um, there were two points that I that really stick out in my brain where I kind of got like a flip-flop in my stomach. So there's the point where uh, Anthony is approaching Hannibal and you're trying to figure out who is the prey in Hannibal's eyes when he's walking through that gala and he's drinking a champagne. Um, and then there's that intense exchange between him and Anthony. And then we switch to this blade coming yeah. out of a sheath. And then you see them slice off the tops of the champagne bottles. And I felt like that was such a, I don't know, there was this, this moment where I was like, where's that knife going? Like, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know it was going to be used to open wine. That wasn't where my brain was. My brain was that something insidious is going to happen to that knife. And then, uh, I guess at the dinner, when the dawning realization comes for Bedelia, when she realizes that Hannibal's going to have to kill him, that he, he knows too much... And she's like, oh, is this going to happen while I'm eating dinner? Or is this going to at least happen in a place where I don't have to watch? Can I finish my meal I know. First? Like, <laughs> that's the look on her face when she looks at it. She's like, no, not while I'm eating. Maybe like, during the coffee service <laughs> after yes, dessert. Can we do this after work? Yes. I'm kind of hungry. 
Um, so those are the two points where it was kind of like I was put in suspense, like what is going to happen in this scene? How is it going to play out? Have any of you seen the film Under the Skin? No. No, not yet. Okay. Me too. I'm a bad so sound is... on site person. We all love it <laughs> over the... there. Yeah, this was actually the, the number one film from 2014 at org, which is incredible because it wasn't even like recognized at any of the major awards for anything. But everybody who saw it absolutely loved it. Um, this is by Jonathan Glazer, and there are just so many like really interesting parallels between that and this episode, which is uh, probably my primary detail for this episode. Yeah. The, the way that it opens with Hannibal on the motorcycle, um, there's a character in Under the Skin who never really gets a name that operates a motorcycle and, and is a catalyst for a lot of the stuff that happens in that film. Um, Kate, you mentioned the immersion of Bedelia in the bath and how that echoes a lot of the stuff that happened with Alana, Inky Alana in season two. Um, that's also really huge in terms of underwater stuff that happens under the skin. So anybody who has uh, watched Hannibal and has appreciated the visual aesthetic and also like how sound plays into it, I highly, highly recommend Under the Skin, uh, I think which is still available on Amazon Prime, if anybody's a member on there who can stream it on there. Um, there are a lot of really, really similar visual uh, aesthetics there that, that would be good for Hannibal viewers. Um, but that's my first detail really quickly. Um, also the, the credits, obviously we get Jillian Anderson in the credits, which is a big deal because we fucking love Jillian Anderson, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing is we know that it alternates between where Hugh Dancy's name is on top of Mass Mickelson and it, it, it goes back and forth between episodes. In this episode, Hugh Dancy is above, which is really strange, yeah. right? I think so, it may be a bit of misdirection for us. You know, we spend the episode waiting for Will to wake up in a hospital or something. Yeah, absolutely. His, I mean, we talked a little bit about it in terms of, you know, how this works structurally as an episode of television and how that subverts expectations for viewers. But, yeah, that, that kind of, like, expounds that, which is, which is, like, very satisfying in some ways mm -hmm. for anybody who's aware of that. And actually, we weren't even aware of that until one of our listeners pointed it out to us in our first season of This Is The Design. So I think that that was Carl. So thank you, Carl. Um, okay, so Cooper, second time around. Okay, I got one uh, that the snails in Hannibal's basement immediately made me feel like Jane Gum raising his crop of butterflies slash moths and the love and care Hannibal showed to them and the nefarious purpose they were being used for. So it's just another Brian Fuller's wonderful references to everything that we are already expecting and wondering if we'll see in this show. Uh, for me, yes, I totally agree. Um, score score yeah. uh, for me a couple other little details I love how um, both utterly appetizing and utterly disgusting that sauce was oh. when Hannibal's saucing the leg especially in black and white because that you know you're taking away the color of it so yeah. maybe it's red maybe it's brown but the viscosity of it just you know, and the shine 
see. It occurs to me it's entirely possible the reason it's in black and white, because flashbacks aren't always in black and white on this show, is because of standards and practices. That's because true. if Hannibal was glazing it with something that looked enough like blood, it may have been too much. Well, we know on the hand mm. it was a red, red wine yeah. uh, vinaigrette, so that, that could be a thing, totally. Um, also, Zachary Quinto plays a body. Yeah. I wonder if he'll be back. <laughs> I, wonder. I imagine that when Zachary Quinto was starting acting, he dreamed of a day when Gillian Anderson's arm would be down his throat. <laughs> I mean, that's you... that kind of party? <laughs> Because we haven't specifically mentioned, like, the funniest thing ever yes. on Hannibal, ever. The, the yes. weird crossover between our uh, sexuality podcast and the Hannibal podcast. Just the reactions. Just, like, the honey. <laughs> yeah, Hannibal, right? Hannibal's got a real, genuine, you know, I'd be into this threesome if you would be, honey. <laughs> and she, you want. Yeah, she gives him this look, like... Okay, you're going to kill him. Are we really going to do this too? Is it that, that kind yeah. of a party? You know, we've had the four-way between Hannibal and yes. Alana and Will and, and the stag. Five, yeah, yes. the, stag. Yeah, the five-way, you forgot Margot. Oh, shit, yeah. So this this is a big deal. This is not a big deal, actually. So, so is that technically an orgy, then? It, it is. Yeah, 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 we have said that five is an orgy. Yeah. 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 All right, uh, uh, Miko, your next detail. Uh, I, I think my absolute favorite detail, other than all these other ones that I pointed out, was how beautifully shot the black and white sequences were in the flashback. Because they weren't just black and white or kind of washed out like a lot of the, the uh, flashback sequences were in previous seasons, where they either look like a faded out version of regular color or sepia toned. Instead, it was this really uh, cold gray tones with deep, deep, deep blacks. And my favorite moment is at the very end when you have this super close up of Gideon basically confronting Hannibal with his inevitable fate of what will you feel like when this happens to you? And I thought it was amazing. Exactly. What you taste like. Did you notice that his eyes were nearly black? Yeah. And all the shadows were as deep as they could possibly get. It was unnerving because he didn't even look human in that moment. And I wanted to freeze frame that and just stare at it for a little while. <laughs> it was mesmerizing. I love that Gideon finds a way to have power over Hannibal and to <laughs> irritate him. He's like, I don't have to eat. Yes. Yes. three limbs yeah. down, he can yeah. still exert a little bit of power over well, Hannibal. True. When's the last time we saw Hannibal irritated enough for for it to like affect his speech patterns? Because it does yeah. here. Mm-hmm. It does. He's met his match in a way. Maybe that's why he had to get rid of him. Or maybe but that's he's... why he's keeping him yeah. alive to eat himself. Mm-hmm. So that he can have that company and that witty banter <laughs> that goes back and forth. He has a special place in his memory palace. <laughs> Aww. Anything else, Sophia, that you wanted to mention in terms of the details? Um, yes, two things. 
Um, so I liked the deli or slash butcher that Bedelia goes to to buy her feed. The very like grim-looking deli yeah. slash butcher. Yes, that's what I... Like, you walk in, I think the first time she walks in, you walk by this dead black bird, like, yeah. beak up. And Covered then, in grapes. Yes, and and then there's um, the... The bunny, the rabbit, the rabbit. that's, that's the dripping bunny. blood the out hair. of its mouth. The hair. Detach ourselves from yes. it a little bit. Okay, okay, sure. Don't call it a bunny. It's a bunny. <laughs> you made me go cry. <laughs> the blood dripping out of it. The look so. on her face of general disgust um, as she walks in there. I couldn't tell if this place was like high class and had really fancy food or if it was like bottom of the barrel because she never looks happy to be going inside um and then the second which was uh uh pointed out by cooper and i was avoiding this because it's an obvious one but when uh hannibal as dr fell is doing his lecture we have the slideshow of lucifer uh and for a second you get the eyes that line right up with Hannibal's, and then you get this shot to Bedelia. Like, it's her reaction to seeing it. It's a really unnerving shot. It is, it is. Because it's, it's blurry, and he's standing underneath yeah. the word Lucifer, and then yeah. all of a sudden, eyeball. They become one. <laughs> yeah, that was really creepy. But what I really loved about that shot is, beyond the obvious part... It's also a very distinct foreshadowing of the Great Red Dragon, mm. which we've been promised. This show is based on the novel Red Dragon. We've been promised the Great Red Dragon and we're gonna get it. winged monster. The, wing. the Great Red no, Dragon. No, this is just going to be about aliens. I think. <laughs> Yeah. Well, David Duchovny's going to show up, and you know, <laughs> then we're going to spin off in another X-Files. direction. Damn it, I forgot yeah. about my David Duchovny prediction. <laughs> uh, yeah, the first thing that you touched on, Ophelia, the 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 shop that uh, Bedelia goes into, I mean, like I, that was one of my questions I that I had for the people who are more familiar with the, the source material. The, the Vera Doll, 1926, is that like a thing that's in those novels? I I didn't remember it at, it at all. No. But they seem to focus on the words on the door, yeah. so it was significant. That's why I wrote I it down. It, it seemed yeah, very significant. Either. I couldn't remember if it was. I was wondering if it was a character. Did anyone Google it? By I'm chance? I'm doing it right now. Was it? It was a Vera Day. No doll. D A. Vera doll. Yeah, I did Google it, and it was just you, you know you get like a couple hits of yeah. like uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins Hannibal stuff like that. So. Maybe, maybe it was something from that. Um, the, the last detail that I wanted to mention was in the very beginning. The, the whole opening sequence was just ridiculous, but the way that it was shot, the, the, the choices, I don't actually don't know who like makes some of these choices, but if it was Vincenzo Natale, the, how the, the camera seems to like open and close after Hannibal has taken off his helmet, either... It's one of two things for me. It's either like a shutter on a camera, which kind of falls in line with how we see Bedelia through the CCTV, or it's more like, because this is the beginning of the season, it's like eyes opening and closing after waking up. You know, we're we're being introduced to this new segment of the Hannibal series. And so that 
directorial or cinemata uh, cinematography decision, whatever it was, I thought was was quite good. Um, We're gonna jump in great. quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Viridal um, is from the book Hannibal, and I found this sentence. He ordered the same wine from room service in St. Louis after he escaped, and he ordered it from Viridal. 1926 in Florence. This stuff is pretty rarefied. We're checking importers and dealers for case sales. So it is a tip of the hat to him. That is one of the things that I, I, I've read way too much that Brian Fuller has said in the last week. But one of my favorite things he said is that whenever he gets stuck on a scene or whenever he feels like it needs a little punching up, he just pages through the Hannibal novels until he finds something that's worth grabbing and putting into the show. And I think that's the reason why we get things like this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure everything that they talk about, what he orders, um, because it's something that they do extensively in the book Hannibal, we're probably seeing a good majority of that either mentioned or shown. In this episode. I imagine that wine we saw is probably the wine reference. Mm-hmm. That that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, okay. Well, was there anything that anybody else wanted to mention with regards to this episode? Anything that we haven't talked about? I mean, I the one thing that I wanted to say was it, it's kind of unfortunate despite the fact that the character has served his purpose that this is all we get of Anthony because... <laughs> He was so good in this episode, mm. so that that's all I wanted to say. That actor's good. Yeah. Yeah. He, sh- he switches tones so easily from, like, ally, buddy-buddy early on to uh, what's he doing here to, like, sleazy guy at the end. Like, he's really good. Yeah. I liked his line about, I'd like to know what befell Dr. Fell before yeah. you took over his position. And then the line about the twisted forms. <laughs> Don't give Hannibal ideas. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's never uh, too Kate, late. When he hit Antony over the head, you mentioned that you thought the bust was Dante. Oh, right. Yeah, I was going to ask, because I don't know, but based on all the references, like, does anybody know who that was a bust of? I couldn't tell you definitively. Do, do, are you Googling honestly, Dante bust, Mika? Uh, she is. <laughs> yeah. And no, no none, no, of, none these of them. I wonder who that was. Here. That's a devil. That's a listener uh, shout out. I would Tell say us it looked a little bit like Charles Darwin. I don't know. Like I like <laughs> I go to like Socrates. Uh, but, oh, you know what? You know what? Possibly it could be like Judas. Is yeah, it was uh, mentioned in the episode. Is, yeah, we don't know. Listeners, well, hook us up listeners. with that one. <laughs> there we go. That's how we ha- that's how we handle that. Yep. Uh, anything else that anybody wanted to mention that we hadn't touched on yet? It's pretty. I'm glad yeah. it's back. <laughs> oh my God! Hannibal has returned. It, I I really would like to mention the amazing job they've done with their teasers for the season. Just the weird choices they've made, the weird music, the silliness of them. I think. The summer may be positioning this show to finally be something people are paying attention to. Like, Entertainment Weekly is actually paying attention to it now, and for whatever reason, they really didn't. Yeah. Well, it's not like there's a lot of competition right now. So which be a little which bit could more. be the best. 
Oh yeah, there's gonna be a little more later on in the summer, but right yeah. now it's like that. Aquarius, no, no. <laughs> well, yeah, just just no. The pilot was enough. I watched two for the Televerse. No. Oh, I'm not a Manson person. First. Well, hey, the company's got X Files and maybe Twin Peaks. And fingers crossed, Hanwell at some point. <laughs> yes, he could put together a, a X Files reunion on Hannibal. I feel like that's a thing Brian Fuller could enjoy. <laughs> but we're talking about the X Files. It's probably time to wrap it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, it's fantastic. Uh, so, just a reminder once again to listeners: if you'd like to get in contact with us, uh, you, you can reach Kate and myself on Twitter. You can email us at thisisourdesign666 at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on the post for this podcast over at soundonsite.org. And, of course, if you'd like to be entered into the Season 1 DVD giveaway, you can enter in any of those ways. Uh, just let us know that you would like to be entered into that. So, uh, the, to our very special guest, thank you once again for coming on and talking with us, uh, Cooper, Miko, and Ophelia, is there anything that you would like to plug? Well, Eat the Rootcast is coming back, and we are firm believers in sharing is caring. So why have one po- Hannibal podcast when you can have two? <laughs> so eattherootcast.com is where you can find us, and we're at Eat the Rootcast on Twitter. And if you're a Twin Peaks fan, we just wrapped up season one of Damn Good Podcast, and we'll be returning to Twin Peaks after season three of Hannibal. All right. And, and Kate, anything else that you're reviewing right now that you want to let listeners know about? Well, right now at Sound and Sight, I'm reviewing Orphan Black, and I'm reviewing um, Veep over at the AV Club. And, of course, we still have the Game of Thrones podcast going on at Sound and Sight, because, heaven forbid, I only have two podcasts a week. Um, but the, also, the other main podcast I do is, of course, the Televerse, where we cover the rest of TV all of the other TV. Um, so you guys can check that out. Uh, I would love to hear from y'all on Twitter at the Televerse. Reach out and uh, let me, you know, look, share your share your gifs or gifs. I like gifs, but anyways. Yes. Um, sh- share your Tumblr, all that, you know, memes, because there's so much great fanable stuff out there. Uh, yes. I would love to hear from y'all. So, so please reach out. And not all Heaven of it is erotic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. You say heaven forbid two podcasts. I I used to watch Dragon Ball Z as a kid pretty religiously, and there's like this thing in Dragon Ball Z called the hyperbolic time chamber where like guys would go in there to train for like what was the space of one day, but in actuality they got to like be in there for a year so that they get really strong over a year. I feel like that's the only way that Kate's able to keep up with television (laughs) is by going into a hyperbolic time chamber. So that's that's a thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's the that's the dream. Then maybe I'd get sleep. <laughs> now you know her darkest secrets. So I just just for the record, I just googled Charles Darwin, Judas Iscariot, Socrates, and Plato. None of the busts that are out there on the market are similar to the one that they used. So <laughs> seriously, someone out there, find out yeah. what this bust is. I'm... I put because Hannibal bust and I got a bust of beards, Hannibal. And that bust did not have a beard. Yeah. So. Oh, like, no, the original Hannibal. Well, yeah. 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 Oh. The other, the other Hannibal. The other Hannibal. Yes. 
That means it's up to you, listener. So mm-hmm. please uh, get in contact with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, Kate and I will be back to talk about next week's episode, Season 3, Episode 2, Primavera. Until then, you have just listened to the very first episode of this season of This Is Our Design. Thank you.